I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Ben Nempton. He's a mental health advocate and the creator, executive producer, and co-host of MTV's The Buried Life. Let's talk about it. One, you can pop I, those on if you want to. Once I, once I like realize it. Um, all right. Well, uh, I'm really excited for this. I feel like this is. I feel like this is kind of like a long time coming. You know, this is uh, to to sit down with you, Ben, and and have this chat was something that I think we've talked about like a little while ago. And and you were you were mentioning our friend Jesse from uh, from Jack.org. We I mean we recorded with Jesse. Now it feels like ages ago. That was uh, that was last summer, I yeah. believe. Yeah, that was last summer. Um, but I mean, even back, like back further than that. Yeah, man, we t- we spoke to you on the phone, like in holy fuck, we, yeah. shit. We hadn't been doing this podcast for like more than two or three months, and I uh, maybe three or four months. It was the day of our first live show. That's right. So January. So maybe like three, four months. It was, and because j- Jeff, Jeff, uh, our mutual friend Jeff, um, uh, put us in touch with you and was just like, "Hey, you should talk to Ben. Like, he's got some. He's done some cool shit." And we were, man. Crazy. And that was just like a conversation to just have a chat and not even really talk about anything specific. We talked to you a little bit, a little bit about like your experience in like production and, yeah, and cool. doing a show and, and man, and now we know your sister. And well, yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's, let's, before we go too deep into that for the listeners. <laughs> no, let's just do the Coles notes and then yeah, shut it down. Yeah. Well, for the listeners, let's, uh, let's break down. Why don't you just let us know, let them know, yeah. let everyone who's tuning in who you are and, and uh, maybe like some of the shit that we might kind of jump into today. Yeah. Well, we'll start at the beginning. I mean, and thank you guys for having me here. I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time too. So it's it's very exciting. We got pastries. You know, we're celebrating. <laughs> yeah. We're, just, uh, we're in Vancouver. Yeah. So I I grew up in Victoria. Uh, I don't have to say BC, but everywhere else I say Victoria, BC. Yeah. And um, and for me. I, I ended up starting this thing with, with three friends called The Buried Life. And the way that came about for me was a really dark place where I was, I was, I always, for whatever reason, put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. Um, and and I'm, I haven't really figured out why, but because there's no external forces that have been putting that pressure on me to put that pressure on. But for whatever reason, you know, this is what I do. And, um, and in, in high school... I, I put pressure on myself academically. I got an academic scholarship to uh, UVic. I put my pressure on myself to do well in, in sports, and so I and I made the U nineteen national rugby team. And all of these things were big milestones for me, especially the rugby, because growing up in Victoria, that's the hub of rugby. Yeah. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. So all the national team trains there, and and um, and as we were training for the World Cup in France, U nineteen World Cup, I started worrying about my kicks. I was field goal. Kicker, so I was fly half. 
It's like the quarterback and the field goal kicker in one. I was like, your shoes? You're just really concerned? Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. 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 I got these new Air Jordans, and I was really concerned. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to go. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, what if I miss an easy field goal and, like, blow it for everybody? Oh, right? kicker pressure. Yeah. Every time oh, I see that on television, I'm always, my gut just, like, rots. Oh, it's, it's the worst. so intense, yeah. And so, and these thoughts would come at night, and, and I would be unable to sleep. And so then, this lack of sleep basically caused me to slide into a depression where I couldn't get enough sleep and I was just so much in my head that I was immobilized by this depression where I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to rugby practice. So I got dropped uh, from the rugby team and I got, and I dropped out of school. And oh I was, shit. And I, and I was a hermit. I, I was just shut in in my yeah. parents' house. Literally, I was I was unable to make decisions and and none of this had ever happened to me before. How I, quickly did that like from the start of like it you know, having that thought over to the... a few months? You know, slowly getting worse. Mm. Isn't that insane? Like, I, I feel like people don't really take the time to and we've been talking about this a lot recently because of a particular Joe Rogan podcast yeah. episode we listened to about the sleep about the importance of sleep and yeah. like how lack of sleep can really fuck you up. Mm-hmm. People really do not take the time to acknowledge how important sleep is and how a lack of sleep can completely change your life and the quality of the sleep that you do get. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, it, it does not surprise me at all, yeah. especially when you're young and you're, you're, you're in that transition from high school to college where you just don't know what you need to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like now I understand there are things I need to do sleep, eat healthy, take time off. Yeah. You know, uh, meditate, you know, exercise, help other people, all these things that help me get out of my own head to mm-hmm. actually just mm-hmm. get back into my body and stay healthy. But I didn't know that. And so, and I was just completely blindsided by this. And, and ultimately, over time, under, started to understand what I needed to do to be healthy. And one of those things was just like taking a break sometimes. Yeah. And, and one of those things was obviously proper sleep and and talking about what I was really going through for the first time. Right? Yeah. It's kind of always like, I don't want people to see this as a weakness. Which is super hard as a as a kid, you know, in, in high like high school age, you know, like you said, that transition. Yeah. I mean I went from I went from uh, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I went through a period of depression in a in a very kind of similar vein. Like that story just kind of like rang off me there. I went. I had a scholarship to go to a, a prep school down in the states to play hockey um, mm-hmm. for the last couple of years of high school. And when I got there, I, I didn't know it, but in hindsight, homesickness was a was a thing, yeah. and I didn't know that at the time. And for the first like six months that I was there, you know, the better half of that first year that I was there. I didn't, you know, I, I was in a single room. I went home, I, I came home after school. I went to sleep. I woke up, then I went to practice. Then I came home, I went to sleep. I slept in the morning. I, I, you know, I was like a shut in in my, in my dorm yeah. room. And I didn't realize that that was a depression until we actually did this show. And I went, holy shit, I was depressed then. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I didn't realize it until we started talking about it. Exactly. Which is why I talk about it. Now, yeah. Because so many people struggle with it. And also, also, I think it's important to understand that everybody will. Yeah. At some point, go through some sort of struggle, well, whether it be depression or some sort of anxiety, mental health struggle, whether it's bereavement after someone dies or after, whether it's uh, anxiety or, you know, going through, navigating the divorce of your parents, whatever. Like, mm. so this is not a, a, a something that is, I think this is part of the human condition, right? The Buddha says to be human is to struggle. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when you step into that struggle, 
is, you know, and you guys know this better than anyone, you actually see that those struggles are actually your strengths. Yeah. And, mm, yeah. and, and you, you learn from them and that's how you grow. And that's what happened for me because out of that place of darkness, I was like, you know what? I'm going to choose to only surround myself with people that inspire me. Only Ooh. people that bring me up because now that I'm out of high school, I'm not in this petri dish of friends. Yeah. I can actually decide who I hang out with. So I'm going to pick people that like inspire me in some way. And there was this kid, Johnny, who was a self-taught filmmaker that grew up around the corner from me, who I didn't know very well, but actually took my sister to prom. <laughs> so, nice. you know, it's conflicted. But, <laughs> but I said, Johnny, let's, let's make a movie. Like I've always wanted to make a movie. And he said, you know, I just was talking with my friend Dave about this and we got, this guy Dave and Johnny's older brother Duncan into this sort of movie making mission. And we had no idea what we wanted to make a movie about. We just were like, there's all these things that we have wanted to do, but we've never done them. And let's figure out a movie to make. And we're trying to figure out to, a name for the movie and a, and a theme for the movie. And Johnny's in first year English class at McGill University. And his professor assigns him for re- required reading this poem, 150 year old poem called The Buried Life. And there's four lines in that poem that strike him and he brings them back to us. He's like, guys, read this poem. And the four lines are, but often in the world's most crowded streets, but often in the din of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life. And he was like, yo, this guy, 150 years ago in his 50s is speaking about this feeling we can't articulate, mm. which is that we have all these things that we want to do, but we've never done them because they're buried. Mm. Mm. They get buried by, by school, by work, and literally just by the day-to-day. This is like a human thing that mm. happens. And, and by being told by people that you can't do them or that you shouldn't do them. That's or not that's not, what, that's not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not, not like, safe that's, choice. that's not the, that's not the progression. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice idea, but I, like you really should. I think, um, my, my girlfriend, um, she's done this thing called, uh, Desire Maps. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? No. Um, Danielle Laporte does it. She's actually from, I think she might be from Victoria. The name sounds um, familiar. But <clears throat> what it, what it's, it's like, it's similar to goal setting. But instead of making your goal um, something specific, it's it's more so you're looking for a feeling. Yeah. So you're trying to find this feeling that, like, if your goal is to go to the Olympics, instead of the goal to be go to the Olympics, it's what is what is that feeling yeah. that you get inside of you when you search for that? That's yeah. neat. I and, like that. And I'm curious to know, like, going from wanting to play rugby and and being on this academic scholarship mm-hmm. to like totally shifting your life to something else. Mm. What was it the same feeling that you were looking for or it, was it something different? It's a, it's a, I think it's a fantastic question. I think you hit something that's like a core truth, which mm. to answer your question, um, I wasn't going after a feeling. I was going after what I thought I should be going after. Right. You know, rugby was huge. I didn't actually really like it. Mm. And what I, what I wanted to follow was this feeling of like creative expression basically, which came through this, this buried life film and, 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 and all of these like buried dreams. Um, and I think that a lot of people get tied up when they're trying to think about what's my passion, what's my purpose. You know, it's kind of a daunting question yeah, to ask yeah. yourself. But as you said, it's, 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 if you can't think about that right away, it's, it's actually feeling that. So mm-hmm. what excites you when you think about it? What gives you that feeling of excitement that those butterflies in your stomach that's what you want to follow or follow your curiosity. What are you, what are you curious about? Mm. Do that, follow that. Like that can be it. And then from that curiosity, how can you use that to solve a problem in the world? And that's your purpose. Boom. That's your like, that's that key element. That's that step further. That's yeah. really so that cool. That goes from passion to, to purpose. Yeah. And, and I, I was listening to Jason Silva speak, who's the <clears throat> host of brain games. And he, 
talks about that sort of how can that passion solve a problem and then now you found yeah. your purpose and and I realized when I get in a rut because this again happened recently after eight years of figuring it out and then all of a sudden I felt depressed again and I realized that I wasn't I was I was bearing that creative expression mm. which is when I started speaking again mm. um, so it's this you know it's this it's it's really like a, a important an important truth I think and so yeah mm. we yeah from there we we just we basically decided to call this thing the buried life because Johnny was like, this poem is it. And everything was buried where all these, these, these dreams and we made a list, mm-hmm. like a bucket list, the most epic bucket list that we could ever think of. But it, Truly epic. Like, well, truly epic because when we did it, we had two rules. Like you have to pretend you have $100 million in your bank account Sweet. and you have to pretend you can do anything. Mm. And then what would be on your list? Like, and it was between the group of you. Like, yeah. what are the? Yeah, right. Okay. What are the? Sometimes it was one thing that one person wanted. Like Dave wanted to ride a bull. I didn't want to ride a bull. Yeah, but course. we put yeah. it on. You know. But most of them were communal, and they were the biggest we could think of. Like Lotus playing Spinks. playing uh, bas- basketball with Obama is one of the things. Yeah, that, playing basketball yeah. with President Obama, which you did. Which we yeah we yeah which we somehow <laughs> did. <laughs> you know, right in a New York Times bestseller, Dave. You know. Didn't pass English class, but we did that. You know, there's all these <laughs> yeah, things that right. were so outrageously impossible. Like, I, we laughed when we wrote them. We're like, oh, yeah. this is funny. Mm. And somehow they, they, they came <clears throat> off the list. And so it was this, this crazy lesson. And then, you know, and then every time we cross something off, we're like, we're going to help someone on the road do something they want to do yeah. on their list. How do, you, how do you turn, how did you guys go about turning things so ambitiously like crazy that make you laugh when you write them down to to a reality. reality yeah. It was just the simple fact that we started with the first thing we could think of with every single one. You know, we didn't we didn't know how we were going to do them from start to finish. Uh, I don't even think we thought we could, but we did know the first thing we could do, you know, play basketball with President Obama. We could drive our stupid bus to DC and yeah. start asking people yeah. on the street if they knew anyone in the White House. There was it's, there was it's, one that cliche of just like one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. But really, just like that's it. Just follow the next logical step, and you don't. And yeah. and you really will surprise yourself how far, how many steps you really can take. Well, there was that one. You know, I I think that it was probably at least a couple of years ago that I watched your TED talk. I think it was a TED talk where you're talking about um, you were talking about asking mm-hmm. just asking people like just going hey hey we want to do this like is there any way that you can help and it was something to do with um was it something to do with a a, a girl who needed a prosthetic arm or a prosthetic leg what was that what was that story i'm like i i can't remember so it was a yeah we got sent a hashtag on twitter that said hand for tori and we looked into it and there's a group of friends that wanted to get their friend who was born with one hand um fulfill her dream of having a bionic arm which are right. super expensive yeah and and we saw it and yeah, they're thought, like, what are they like? They go for like uh, 30, 40 bucks, like, yeah, bucks? Yeah. like American yeah. though, like yeah, American, American, yeah, but <laughs> <it's> American like, <laughs> that's not that's top yeah. dollar. Yeah. And that's for two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we got this, we just asked this company that made them. Hey, we have one. <laughs> like it seems, that's, like, that's a logical like, step. Because, yeah. Yeah. But these are the, these are the, these are the restrictions that we put on our mind when you go, Fuck! How am I going to get a bionic arm for this person? It's like mm. ask the manufacturer. <laughs> you know, like you don't, yeah. like you don't yeah. think of the most obvious yeah. way to to go and do that, and and then you do that and you and you get it done. Yeah, mm. and that's uh, and that was I think 
for us early on, uh, for us early on in our doing, doing this podcast was something that was actually a huge learning for us. It was like, ask, mm-hmm. ask people for things because the people that believe in what you're doing, they want to help you. So reach out and ask for these things because these people believe and they want you to succeed and they will lend a hand when you need a recording space or whatever it is. Like talking about our situation. Um, something that really jumped out at me there when we were talking about the passion, uh, the two things that really jumped out at me that you said were, the passion thing, because I had a really specific experience where I felt that and I literally said out loud to his twin brother, Brian's twin brother and, and John, we went on the snowboarding trip and we were coming down from the mountain, uh, at Revelstoke mm-hmm. after, on like the third or fourth day that we were there. And I looked around and we were exhausted and it was a beautiful day. And I literally said, this feeling that I have in my chest right now, everybody needs to feel this. They don't need to go snowboarding. But they need to feel this. Whatever gives them that, that I'm feeling like right now is what the whole world needs. And if it had it, then things would be different. A hundred percent. And Branson says that there's, there's no greater high than the high you get from life. Mm. And, and that's kind of at, like, I think if, if, if more people did what they love, the world would be a better place, essentially. Yeah. You know, like that's, if I could give that as one, the, the one takeaway that I leave behind, because not only does it help the person that's, that's doing it, but it affects everyone it's around gonna, them. Yeah, it's going to yeah. affect everyone else. Yeah. So that ripple effect that you have, think about the ripple effect you guys have from doing what you love, this podcast, mm-hmm. right? You have no idea what the ripple effect is. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And it's much greater than you think. This is the, the so I've I've been actually speaking about this specifically and there's this uh this guy his name is Ben Stone he's from Halifax and he's this actor and um and not many people in the world would know Ben Stone's name because by day he's a, he's a teacher and by night he acts in these like really uh, fantastical, uh, like physically, um, demanding comedic plays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 16, I went and saw this show called the Zupa Circus Open Theater Kitchen. It was this very silly play where all these actors get together and it, it's, it's a lot of like clown, a lot of, um, you know, physical comedy and they're cooking a soup on stage during the, during the show. At the end of the show, the soup is done and everyone gets to come down and enjoy the soup with the actors and have like a Q&A. But what made the, the performance like so extraordinary for me was this guy, Ben Stone, his performance, his ability to come out and like captivate an audience, suck them in um, and, and like just have everybody in the palm of his hand. And it was, it was that night that I, I kind of had this realization that like, okay, I want to be an actor. Like that is that that is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life, and so I went on this like path to become an actor. It was what I wanted to do. I decided I was going to do it, and I went for it. And sure enough, I followed that path, and and it happened. And it was it was this amazing experience. And through that experience, it led me to the world of podcasting. And and the three of us started this project, and. And we, you know, it, it started as something very small, but, and, and, and turned into something much greater than us. And we never really anticipated it going there, but it did. And now we, we look at what we're doing now and, and we're having this direct effect on thousands and thousands of people across the world about how they view their illness, how they interact with the loved ones in their life, how they, um, how they think about their own, their own mortality. Mm-hmm. And, and in looking back at that thread, that through line of like all the way back to the night Ben Stone, who was just following his passion, 
of doing this show, this play. And for like, for all we know, that could have been the shittiest night of his entire run, you know, but for a 16 year old Jeremy, it was, it was life changing. And in turn, he's played this like pivotal role in changing thousands of other people's lives. You know, it's like, how glorious is that? How beautiful Mm -hmm. is that? You know, for someone to just follow, to do the thing that they love and, and to see that it really truly does have a vast and deep, profound effect. And he would never, Ben would never have known unless I told him, Mm -hmm. which I I did. And he's, you know, and to throw the, the social restrictions and like the expectations off of yourself, because when we're talking about go follow your passion, it would be great if everyone followed their passion. One of the biggest things that I bet the average person would say, if you said, go and do that, they would say, okay, well, I don't have enough money to go and follow my passion. And then it's like, okay, well, do you work? You know, what is your, what is your goal? What is your, what, what are you trying to do? What do you, what do you make money for? And I think that the beautiful thing about, about, you know, what anybody can do if they really put their mind to it is that you can find a way to get paid for the thing that you love to do. <laughs> if you think about it long enough and you consult the right people and you ask for feedback. Take that first step. Yeah. It's like what you're talking about. Like, like you didn't think you were going to play basketball with President Obama yeah. when you initially wrote that down, but you took the first step, which exactly. was going to where he is, right? And if you go to where your passion is and start to be involved in that scene and whatever it is and start making those steps, you can logically make the next decision to get to that point where you're actually getting paid to do what you love. Who who won that game, by the way? Did you beat him? Uh, or did he school you? He's good. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> I've heard he can yeah. ball. He can ball. <laughs> Here's the thing. He's a lefty and he has a low release. So you you can block because he's got a low release. Right. But it was, a, it I mean, was plus actually... Plus you're like, what, six, yeah, four? A, you're tall as fuck. Uh, six, I wear boots, but yeah. So <laughs> I'm just over six feet. And what it was is we were... Uh, so he came out. We were. It took us a minute just to kind of like pinch ourselves. <laughs> it was the most surreal moment because he surprised us on the on the basketball course. We didn't think he was in D.C. He was wasn't supposed to be, and he surprised us. And it was just like this moment of oh my god. And and then the funny thing, he is so cool. Like he's the coolest person I think on the planet. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like your your friend's dad in high school where you go to hang out with your friend but you're really like going to go hang out with yeah, his dad. Yeah, his yeah, dad's yeah. so cool. Yeah. He's, like, he's like that times a hundred. He's so, like, yeah, plus I'm the president. He's like, so, he's, <laughs> so right away you, you forget he's the president because yeah. he's so disarming and he's such a nice guy. Yeah. And so right away we were we were trying to hit shots that the other person wasn't. As we were shooting around, we were trash talking. Yeah. And I said, and realized, I'm like, wow, it's, oh, wait, that's the president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. talking smack yeah. to the like, president. There yeah. is secret service yeah. around. The somewhere. funny thing is, you're playing against his decoy. So how, how cool is <laughs> yeah. that? The yeah. Real. It's literally, it's yeah. literally it's, just a person it's, who's it's, had facial reconstruction to right. look exactly like. No, Obama. yeah, it was right after Coachella with Tupac. So that was his hologram. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah. You know, we, the, the real Obama we all know is a huge dick. So he's not that charming and cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah. I want to I want to kind of just rewind back to your not not that we glossed over it, but yeah. I think there's a little bit more to unpack about your 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 struggle with depression, right? Yeah. It's like you went through this um, this period in your life where I think it's 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 not uncommon for people of that age, yeah. you know, that transition between high school and and university, where a lot of people suffer, start to realize that they're suffering from mental health issues, and mm-hmm. it's a very stressful time and. Um, the going from like the deepest darkest moments mm-hmm. to finding this this 
this newfound zest for life with your your passion in, in filmmaking. What was that transition like? And and was that was that finding that was that the the key to really lifting you out of your depression? Yeah. Uh, so the short answer is there were are a lot of things that happened that ultimately brought me out. But that was a huge, huge reason, Mm -hmm. you know, and looking even in the moment, it was unclear, but looking back, you know, it's, it was that those, a myriad of different things that I kind of mentioned, you know, starting to, you know, I found a therapist that I like to talk to yeah, or I, I, I started talking with a therapist, I guess I'd put it that way. And I happened to find one that I like to talk to, you know, and I, and I, I started to learn about why I was feeling like this. And the things that had happened to me when I was a kid, you know, that had sort of like unconsciously been running this loop that made me think this way. Why was I was putting so much pressure on myself? Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be liked by everybody. So like I also started to um, just understand what my body needed to be healthy. And, uh, you know, as I said, sleep, meditation, exercise, and, and, and this creative outlet that was the buried life was something that really fulfilled a piece of me that needed to be fulfilled mm-hmm. um, as well as helping other people. You know, this, this connection that we started making with these people that we were helping cross things off their list. And, you know, like y- you were immediately in an intimate moment with them where in a moment that meant so much to them and you were sharing this with them. And so you, you hypercharged your, you know, your connectivity with them that you just all of a sudden were with them and um, you stayed with them for a long time after you mm-hmm. left. So this was, this was something that totally changed, you know, the trajectory of my life. And ultimately what happened was as we started this two week road trip and this two week road trip continued to move, to live on, you know, year after year after year and crossing off bigger list items that we thought were impossible. This whole buried life thing became more of a lifestyle. It became more of a, a way of thinking about life and 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 choosing and prioritizing the things that are important to you. I mean, you, you talk about like, you know, I, I don't have time to live my passion. You know, I have a job. That's okay. But you can carve out an hour a week to do that one thing that you feel like you want to do. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can create more space <clears throat> for it over time. And as you dive into that and you do that more, hopefully, and usually what happens is is that will uncover some sort of, revenue stream or that will mm-hmm. create an income or you know you can figure out a way to actually make a living or not or, or not yeah. just do yeah. it it doesn't yeah. even need to it doesn't even That's need to thing. Yeah. and so what i found is like we stumbled upon this this I, this bucket list at a very young age you know most people say like why do you think about a bucket list when you're 19 20 and for us is because we didn't we didn't know when we were going to die like we just we, it was it was it was something that it was it was finite and for us this list was a device Prior, that made us remember the things that were important to us. Mm. How, how does a nineteen-year-old make that 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 realization? Yeah. You know, like yeah. like every everybody everybody has the the everybody realizes that we're that everybody has the realization that they're going to die at some mm-hmm. point. But uh, people tend to not really internalize not it. really internalize it, or or just kind of avoid it and and choose not to think about it. And, you know, when you meet people who do think about that on, on a day-to-day basis, there is this, this, this not, I don't want to say quality of life that's different, but this, this sense to what life is, is just a little bit, I don't know, I feel like a little bit more connected, a little bit more like 
tangible. I think it's probably fair to say that the first thing that you said there. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, I think it depends. Like, you know, the, the quality of life. I think that really, yeah. really does depend. But basically, there's, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's an element to understanding what it means to live versus someone who doesn't really ever think about death. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me, it took me. Uh, a while to, to figure that out, I think in, in living with my situation, but for a 19 year old who, who, um, and maybe depression played a role in that, but like, you know, a pretty healthy young 19 year old, like what was the, was, was this poem like a huge part in making that sort of like, like mind blowing realization? That yeah. Like, so I think there was actually two things. One, um, I don't know if you guys ever did this, but when I was young, I would think about my, mortality just i remember thinking when i was you know 10 11 12 just trying to wrap my head around the idea that you would be dead forever that yeah. like that, that 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 you had this life but then you were gone and and you were dead forever like and it went on until infinity and mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't digest that i couldn't comprehend and so i would i remember just thinking about that by myself and um so and then the other thing was uh Duncan had a good friend who passed away suddenly on a camping trip. He had drowned. Yeah. And so that was something that kind of, this was like right while we were doing this and that kind of affected us all. And I think he was instrumental in this kind of question. Um, and, and so I think I, w- I had been sort of thinking about it when I was younger. And then this, you know, I think people that are sort of faced with it, that they, they have no choice but to internalize it. Yeah. Right? They have no choice. I, I wouldn't, and like I I can really appreciate that, but I also think that that's a, a pretty mature way to think about that too, even at that age, because um, I lost a close friend when I was 16 years old, and I don't think that it impacted me in that, in that way that I thought about my own mortality. Mm. It was more of just like a sadness that kind of, Came up from the the from losing a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me, I didn't think too much more about my own mortality until I had more of a pivotal life change, probably around the same time, like nineteen, twenty, twenty one years old. But I, like, I think that that still is a really mature way to think, and and I don't think that everybody has that yeah. that realization in that moment. Well, that's what I mean is that like we all. We all at one point in our lives realize that death is very real, but we all tend to react to that in a, in, a, in our yeah, own unique yeah. way. And, and you, you, I feel like it's, it's that, it's that matrix moment that like blue pill or red totally. pill. Totally. Like a, like and, a fear and you of have a choice. You have a choice arise. to either go, yeah, you have a choice to either go, I'm going to take this, this new information that I'm now processing and use it, or I'm going to just, push it away because it's too far beyond anything I can comprehend right now or too scary or too whatever, you know? And, and so 16 year old Brian might've just chosen the, you know, the blue pill. What was the one that didn't take into uh, uh, both? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah. the, but, but I also strongly believe that, 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 um, Contradiction in experiences is is also what makes or allows you the opportunity to see the other path more clearly. It's kind of like if you mean if like you didn't going have, through it twice and and having yeah, like going through the matrix twice. No, 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 no. no, 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 no but what I mean no, is like going no, through it, no, like so, a realization twice, and, and no, but having that fear first initially of death, and then yeah. being able to be like, okay, I'm afraid of this, and then 
understanding that that darker side to look at it yeah. makes the opposite side a little bit more bright. It's kind of like an easier way to explain it is more like you wouldn't appreciate sunny, warm weather if it wasn't for shitty cold weather. Yeah, right. You've been through it. You've been through the the darkness of yeah. You know, like the sadness, and then it happens again, and it becomes something where you have a choice. Yeah, and and, and, and there, there you know there's a lot of philosophical notions where they say that you should. This is where I'm torn as like a as a yoga teacher and and as a as a really as a as an enthusiast of philosophy, mm-hmm. this idea that that the that the happy life is the steady life, and, and in philosophical terms, being that you want to fluctuate as little as possible, but at the same time, there is something very beautiful and romantic about being aware of how good it is when it's good because you've experienced the shit. I totally agree with that. And I also feel that that conflict because they talk like talking about the Buddha and like how, you know, there is no good, there is no bad. It just is. And staying, staying, trying to hover as close to like baseline and acceptance of all experiences. Like I, I understand it and I can appreciate that way to look at that it. There's but a I bliss also, within that, but the greatest thing is feeling emotions, like feeling emotions on such extreme ends of one another. And like even, not even just happiness and sadness, but like even embarrassment, because like when you're truly embarrassed, that's like a really, Really well, visceral feeling, yeah, discomfort, and, Discom- and, like, and you're feeling, like, "Holy fuck, I'm living right now." Yeah, being yeah. uncomfortable and uh, being comfortable within being yeah. uncomfortable so that you can grow is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in my contemplation of death, I go, I go both ways. You know, some days I'll think about death and go, "Dude, fuck yeah, grab life by the balls, do it." And then other days, consensually it's grab life by the balls. Yeah, consensually, <laughs> obviously, yeah. obviously, yeah, it's a it's a good relationship. And uh, but but then other days go. Holy shit! This thought's kind of scaring scaring the shit out of me today. But like you wouldn't. I don't think you'd feel the other way if you didn't feel that because right. it, it is that right. fear. If you weren't afraid of dying, then you wouldn't be afraid to not live. Guys, uh, um, we might have brought this up on the podcast one time before, but uh, have you ever heard of We Croak, the no. app? It's a it's a oh yeah. It's it's a, does it remind you? We have five times a day. Yeah, I just have. got the notification, and I feel like it's pretty fitting. Do you guys mind if I read the yeah, quote? Go, go for it. So five times a day. We're not a, sponsored by these by this app. No, so you know. It's a dollar ninety nine, <laughs> and it's totally worth it. I've actually since I've had this, it's it, I fucking love it. Uh, okay, here we go. Once we have accepted the story, we cannot escape the story's fate. P. L. Travers. Once we have, it's like let's munch, deep let's, let's munch wow. on that for a second. That's, that's kind of one. that's kind of like what we're talking about because once we accept the story's fate, the fact that we're going to die. What's the end part of that? We cannot escape the story's fate once we've accepted the story. We can't escape its fate. Once you've yeah. accepted the fact okay. you're going to die, you can't. Yeah, yeah. you know. I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking of it in a different way. I'm thinking of it in the way of like once you've accepted the story that that you think you are going to live out like this. Because I, I, we come back to this a lot. Not not in this podcast, but I feel like us in general we talk about you know the 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 like I'm going to go. Not that they're saying there's anything wrong with this because it works for people. Like we said, you don't need to necessarily make your fat passion a job. But you know the person that goes to school and then gets their job and then meets the person and then has the kid and it's like this very sequential like socially acceptable thing and not again not that that's there's anything wrong with doing it's just that. like super boring though. like, like super, super, boring. super super boring <laughs> like i literally just fell asleep as you were describing that life but like you know once you accept once you accept that and you think that that's 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 your existence i'm just in the in the context of not being truly what you want to do then that you've accepted the fate, and that will be your that will be your fate unless you have some it's like snapping moment. That some very life moment. You took it very differently than than I did. Yeah, yeah. that's how I interpreted that. Yeah. Well, that's the magic of words. That was a sweet hey. little tangent. That was so deep. Yeah. yeah, we did go deep. Oh, but I think it's it's 
I mean, for me, it's it's more about like this. There's something that you said that that something triggers you, and once that triggers you, you can't go back. No, yeah. definitely not. And yeah. that is what the poem it's like is saying. Life before this moment and yeah, life, after life after this after. moment, and they're two very different lives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like once you know, it's like this, and that's what the poem talks about: this urge that burns so deeply inside you that once it's revealed, you can't <clears throat> you yeah. can't cover it up. And and that was why we wanted to to to. Like the whole goal with Buried Life is to like have that, give that moment to people, trigger them in some way. Because yeah. we were all triggered by something. And I was actually really inspired uh, by a, a friend of mine in high school. Once he hit college, he started his own clothing line. And I was like, wow, how did you do that? You know, I want to do something. I want to make a movie, you know? And that's when I called Johnny. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with your, the guy that was the actor. Mm-hmm. And this moment happened. And after that happened, you couldn't go yeah. back. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, hopefully we can create more moments like that collectively to inspire more people to realize, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm. And then, like, our, I feel like one of my, my jobs is to, sh- once they figure that out, it's like, okay, here's how you can actually do that. Here are tangible steps mm. you can take to build inertia towards that thing because it's actually not as daunting as you think. And mm-hmm. a huge part of that is something that you said right in the beginning, which was when you left this Petri dish of high school and you realized that you could surround yourself with the people that inspire you and that lift you up instead of either you know keep you at level or bring you down at the, in the worst case. And that was, I mean, that was my transition for sure, was going, holy shit, I don't need to attach myself to these people that are bringing me down. Mm-hmm. And when you start to surround yourself with the people that lift you up and that, and that get excited about the ideas that you have, then you all of a sudden you like get this momentum and there's like people Ooh. to bounce ideas off of and people to people to encourage you and tell you when you're when you should not do what you're doing. <laughs> but, the, but the first step is is authenticity and vulnerability because if you can't be comfortable with who you are and 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 pursuing who you are and vocalizing who you are and telling telling the people that you're surrounding with that that is the true version of yourself then you're not going to that the community is not going to reflect that back at you either right if you're if you're trying to go around and be this artificial person because you're trying to fit into these certain cliques in high school then you're not going to get a true authentic version of yourself portrayed portrayed back at you right yeah yeah, well, so, but, yeah. so basically i th- and i think the answer to like how how does one do that right uh like 25 minutes a day Usually, like right in the morning, and just standing about like two, two to three inches away from the mirror, and just looking uh, right in, like into your own eyeballs as deep as you can. But you don't blink. You don't blink for twenty five minutes. And if you blink, you have to start again. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you have to do it. And this is the thing. We all, and we all know this. We've all gone through yeah. this. We've all done it. This we is talk about this a lot. This is why we're here now. <laughs> you have to do it, and you have to do it for a year straight. So, so yes. You know, and if you blink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Eventually, after practice, you know, uh, eight or nine hours a day, then you eventually will get to that twenty-five minutes without blinking. But the actual reality of that is that that like there are some pretty crazy techniques for meditation, but meditation yeah. can be like one of those ways yeah. where you can draw your attention inward and and figure out more about who you are because that's where I think it really starts. Well, Brian and I tried to convey this to a group of high school students. Uh, when we, Brian and I were speaking the other day at a high school and 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 they didn't get the mirror thing like they Yeah, they, they did. Thought, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, we, 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 we tried to explain the mirror thing. Yeah. They thought it was too intense. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but we were saying we we were like this is 
meaningful communication. And that was basically the note that we were, the chord that we were trying to hit was meaningful communication. Like, you know, your, your happiness is based on your relationships and your relationships are based on meaningful communication. And if you can learn and sharpen your skill of communicating with meaning, then you can create a happy life. And in this age of digitalization and screens and not that they, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, there's a, it, it can be detrimental to our, the way that we communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you need to practice it. Yeah. Like it's not something that yeah. you are born with. Some people are, but it's not something that everyone's born with and you need to practice and you need to have those conversations. And then if you can practice with those hard and weighted conversations, like, which I, I feel like this podcast has given me so much because we practice with like, it's like we're practicing with a weighted puck. Mm-hmm. We're talking about hard shit. So mm-hmm. it makes it easier to talk about the more everyday stuff. It makes it easier to have meaningful conversations that just surround like what I'm passionate about and those like those openness. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like with the path that you fell into sort of forced you to practice those types of things and think about those things more? Definitely. Especially as of late as I've been speaking more about my struggles with depression, right? Like when I when I first talked about it, it was really, really hard. I mean, I'm sure you guys felt the same way. When you first are very vulnerable, mm-hmm. you're terrified. Mm-hmm. And that's why people don't do it a lot. But but it gets easier and easier and it, it makes the it makes other hard things that you want to talk about that you need to talk about easier because what you realize is that it's actually a lot worse in your head. You make it mm-hmm. out to be something that's that's bigger. And when you talk about it it's 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 not only therapeutic for yourself of getting it out out and off your chest, but you're also immediately connecting with people because you're 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 being vulnerable, you're mm-hmm. opening up, and that in turn you're allow you're allowing yourself to like actually help them by talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so when I sort of, I mean, again, there's so many parallels because I'm sure you guys felt this when you first started t- the podcast. This the 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 outreach or the, the the impact it had right away of people reaching out, being t- telling you how much it meant to them because you were being very vulnerable and you were talking about things that were hard. You know, it's the same thing. And, and you realize that you're not the, that people who think that they're the only one going exactly. through it is not, they're and not, you're not alone. And that's the thing, especially like that I've learned with mental illness. It's just like, look, it's, this is just something that happens, you know, like you're going to go through a period of down. You just need to know that you can talk about it yeah. because if you don't talk about it, then you might feel trapped. And when you feel trapped, you might do something irrational, like take your own life. And now, as you guys know from talking with Jesse, we're in a, you know, in Canada and the U.S. In Canada, it's the number one health-related killer of youth. In the U.S., fifth, every 15 minutes, there's a suicide. Mm. Whoa, right? that's the stat. Su- you know, suicides a day. Whoa. And I, I believe that, like, from a non-medical perspective, you know, what we can do is is, is break the stigma and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and as Jesse says, it's not in the on the one in five that struggle with mental health to talk about. It. It's on the four to five to make the other. One if I feel okay, and then there's this whole thing around guys, especially in guys. Ooh, yeah. Guys take their own life three to four times more than females, yeah, because they don't know, they don't ask for help. Yeah, mm. guys don't ask for directions. Yeah. They don't yeah. ask for anything. Yeah, we have, to, and it's not our fault because we just had this backwards definition ingrained in us, which is like suck it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. yeah. man. Yeah. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. 
I would love to know. I'm sure there there must be research, and if there's not, we should do it. What is like? Us, where the does three that, of us? The three of us, just it, yes. us. We wow. don't need any. We don't need any scientists. What is like? Where does that come from initially? Because it's not necessarily the same in all parts of the world. Like it's a culture. I think it's a cultural thing, and I think it's a cultural thing, not necessarily specific to North America, but. I don't know. There's something different about about guys in certain pockets of the world where the communication yeah. just broke down somewhere. I think it also. I think it's just you know the Western um, look at media. You know, like look at movies 50 years ago. The guys like there's they were so stereotypical. Yeah, cowboys. You know, tough guys. It's just there was no range. So it's that's yeah. what you were brought. That's what you thought you idolized that, and yeah. it's changed a little bit. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, my my parents were super. Progressive in the sense that you know they let me do whatever I want, be whoever I want to be. It's all good, but that didn't matter. When I got to the to school, you know, it's like if you didn't do that, you're a pussy. Yeah, you know that's just the way it is. Yeah, and you know, and you'll act, changing. you'll become a different person. It's changing, but that that is what really makes an imprint on you. So you can even sort of like say that you're that you that you're not, but when you really dig deep a lot of the times this has been ingrained in mm-hmm. us guys yeah is that like to be a provider to be strong you know and the the emotional and the mental toll of of basically being an actor all the time yeah is is huge it's i mean huge. that's what i went through i mean and i did and again this is something that i didn't realize until i was in my you know earlier 20s you know at, at about 20 i got really into yoga and that kind of shifted my perspective but then i was able to look back on my teenage years and go holy shit i was uh Dude, I just like was acting all the time. I was just being the person yeah. that somebody that I thought other people wanted me to be so that I could be the cool person and you know, like get with the girl and blah 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 blah. And it's it takes a huge toll on you and has a massive effect. And I guess that that probably played a role in why I went through a period of depression and and I think I started to actually change when I came out of it. When yeah. I came out of it, it was because I I started to act differently. Yeah. Started to be more myself. And I think that like if there's you know, because a lot of people I think that are, are listening have struggled with depression or, or are struggling. And I think that there are just, there's, there's more stigmas around mental health other than just above and beyond the stigma surrounding mental health, right? I think there's stigmas around therapy and stigmas around medication. But I think, you know, if, if you're talking about what's that thing that I believe will, will help the most people, it's, it's to talk about what you're going through to a loved one mm-hmm. and hopefully a therapist and, and just like, Let's just slide away the, the stigma around therapy because everyone should be so lucky to talk with a, a good therapist, mm-hmm. right? It's just a life coach that can help you navigate tricky decisions and give you, <laughs> you know, basically give you advice. Yeah, and, unbiased. And, and, and like, it gets you, you know, I would say like, I don't understand. I, I mean, I, I understand, but if you think about it logically, like if you try and play basketball, why would you try and play basketball without a basketball coach? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. So why would you go through the biggest game of your life life without yeah. any type of coach like mm. you, if you're very lucky logical enough to, way to find uh, a person that understands you and gives you a toolbox to to that you can use when you hit a, a situation that you don't know how to navigate because you just don't have the experience this is an expert in the field mm-hmm. right so use them as a resource now therapists there's Sometimes it's hard to find the right one, so it takes time. And also, uh, financially, economical financially it's an, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of things, yeah. but this, this stigma should be removed. You know, yeah. the other things mm-hmm. around it can, are, are a different conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, this idea that, that, that you're struggling alone, you're not. You're really not. There's, mm. there's so many more people that are out there. What like, are, what are the stigmas surrounding therapy? 
Stigma, it's like you are weak, like you, you need mm, uh, yeah. a lifeline, like or yeah. you need can't do support, it yourself. you can't figure it out yourself, what are you? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and even in, on the coast, because like, I live in LA and New York, you know, everyone has a therapist, but it's still, it's still there. But I mean, everywhere else, it's, it's, it's not even an option. It's bananas. Yeah. It's the like, thought of it is like, what? What? I'm not, I don't it, need a therapist. It's really funny because like, uh, so I host another podcast with my wife and it's a sex podcast and we talk about relationships a lot. And on the podcast, we were talking openly about how we see a, a therapist, mm-hmm. like a, a couple's, couple's therapist. therapist. And people were like, oh my God, is everything okay? Are you guys going to get divorced? Like, why would you need a therapist? Like, it means that it needs to be catastrophic. Why would we need a therapist? Just because we see a therapist doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. In fact, it's the opposite. We We just want to grow. We want to be as best as we can to be as the the best relationship that we can possibly forge. And it's going to take this other person who can go, hey, you're two different fucking people. You know, and this is, and you guys see where your blind spots. Exactly. You know, that's the stigma like echoing back yes. well, but it's exactly. funny because like like athletes will go and speak to sports psychologists like all elite level athletes will will likely see a sports psychologist but then you go again like the way you were talking about ben like the game of life but like, why would not go see a yeah. life psychologist self-improvement yeah. it's yeah. like it's it just accelerates your growth and for the it's people for the people who cannot yeah. afford to see yes. a therapist yes what do you do? Here, well, and here's Read the, thing. the four agreements. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, and we've, we've said this on the podcast a number of times is that, um, you don't need a degree to, to listen to someone. And if you have someone in your life who's willing to hear mm-hmm. you and, and listen to you, then sometimes that's just as good, if not better than a fucking therapist, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Just someone that you care about. Yeah. Uh, and which is why for this is a conversation for everybody. You need to be there mm, when yeah. your friends reach out to you. Yeah. Not only because that's the the right thing to do for someone that you love, but also you will need that person at one point to return the favor and reach out to them in your time of need. Yeah. Right. And that's the type of world we want to create. This is a world of connectedness and compassion, and it's just being a human being. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's exactly what you said. It's you know. If you can't talk with a therapist, talk with someone that you care about. Mm-hmm. The thing uh, that the thing that's funny though is that people when they when they feel like they're going to tell their friends, for example, something that's really heavy, they're always worried that they're going to bring their friends down or burden them with what mm-hmm. they're telling them. But I, like I personally feel like if somebody comes to me and tells me something that is really vulnerable and open with me, I feel like. Um, like they trust I feel, you. I feel great that they, yeah, that they feel like they can come and and seek comfort in telling me that, and that I can be that support system. Yeah, like for oh my them. god, I feel good so about I actually our feel better. Not not better because they feel shitty, but better because I'm able to be an ear for them. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that 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 idea of being a burden to somebody by opening up to them, I don't think that that's a reality. I think that's totally a myth. Yeah, and one of the things that we've come across and we've talked about a lot on this show is. Uh, I, I guess this was something, this was kind of something that we, this was a realization that we had probably, I don't know, maybe a year ago on one of our episodes where we were like, maybe the trick to this, because we do, I do understand that the hardest thing, like going to the gym or taking that test is the lead up to it. And it's thinking about how am I going to start this conversation? If you're somebody, if you're somebody who, who wants to ask a friend how they're doing or on the flip side, the friend who needs the help mm-hmm. and like, how do you start the conversation? And that's really daunting. Mm-hmm. And how maybe because we went well, I feel like we're we're not in the it's 
we're not really in that spot because we have this like really structured thing where we where we like book time and we sit down and we say hey everybody like we're gonna do this for an hour and we're gonna talk specifically about this and then we went shit maybe that's it (laughs) maybe people just need to go hey i want to talk about this and i want to let you know and i'd really love to sit down for an hour and just chat about it and so before you even get together and do it it doesn't have to be that awkward you're sitting down watching tv and going hey uh can i talk to you about like depression for a little bit it's like you make the schedule like you schedule and you say i want to talk about this and you sit down and you do it and we kind of have this realization like oh shit people could just do what we're doing just don't record it yeah i think think you need a name for it like do you want to have like a like a health chat or like some like like something better than that maybe but like i think it's really something better for that because like health health chat sucks (laughs) it's like that's the other this you need we need to change the language around it to change the stigma Mm -hmm. like this isn't mental health. This is brain fitness. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is brain health. This needs to be seen the same way as, as the as the health of every other part of your body. For some reason, it's just not. For some reason, it's yeah. like it's not treated the same way at, in, from a medical perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's also not thought of as the same way. But, you know, this is an organ. This is your brain. And it's there's chemicals that get fired and some chemicals don't. Yeah. And this is, you know, <clears throat> if you're in the, if you need some support, you need to take some medication you know, then that's doesn't mean that you're weak. You might need to take that. And then from there, you can decide if you want to go off it. But, you know, uh, there's, there's language that that can change to actually change the conversation. Um, I I love love brain fitness. It could change. I do. I like it too. And it could change. It would change really drastically because it would make it more. I think that there's an element where we need to be more. uh, It's the language where we need to make it seem more attractive to be proactively met, m- mentally healthy yeah. versus reactively, which is something that we talk about yeah. a lot, which is like, you know, you're proactive about your physical health or, you know, we talk a lot about that, go to the gym, run, whatever. Um, but we're not as like, it's, it's sort of like there's a, there's a, there's a social fluffiness about proactive mental health because we talk about it in terms of meditation and then people have their connotations to meditation and whatever that is. Um, but like, it, it's so important to be thinking about how you are staying healthy in your mind, but we don't do it that often or the, the average person doesn't do it enough. And I don't know, maybe I think it is a language change that needs to happen to get people more into that. Sick boy podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Um, I want to come back to, uh, the death talk because I, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, we, we talk about it sometimes on the podcast, it, you know, it, it comes up f- from time to time, depending on the guest and what they're going through. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on someone who has clearly like thought about it a lot and have, has, has, you know, a, a general understanding of what it means to be, to be, uh, to live a life that is, is temporary. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you ever spend or have you ever spent time on thinking about what's next? Mm. What's after death? I was totally curious about the same thing. Because mm. I actually had a thought about it, and I'll tell you after, but I, I want to I know what you think too. Because it's so, funny, we, we spend so much time yeah. thinking about, well, death is going to happen, death is going to happen, and and I just I've had this realization very recently that I haven't really spent much time thinking about after yeah after death 
you know, and what that might be or or might not be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious if that's ever if it's something that's ever really crossed your mind much. Yeah, it hasn't crossed my mind. It's funny. This is I've, I I used to think about it when I was younger, and now I've spent so much time thinking about staying in the present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah, but I. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? I'm curious to hear your thoughts because, like, I don't. I, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a religious person, um, and uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm agnostic. But I, I believe in. Uh, I believe in a higher energy that sort of connects us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. a lot of that is also science based, uh, right? Uh, so, I, I think that after this life, it's, uh, you know. I, I don't think that it's over. I don't mm. think that it's over. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't think that. And, and I think it was because my mind as a youngster couldn't wrap my head around that, and it still can't. And I. So I. I, I by default believe that something yeah. else happens, and that's that's as far as I, I thought about. It. I. I totally. Um, I feel similar about but about all of those things. But I'm wondering, and the reason why I was curious to know about this is because I. I wonder if having. This faith in an afterlife, um, in the same sense that it's described in like religious texts, mm-hmm. I wonder if that prevents people or limits people from living their best life now because of their expectations of what comes right. after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that would make a lot of sense. I definitely have a like what you said there, Ben, rang true. Like, you know, the the science, the more like science based, like you know, like energy is not created or destroyed. We we live in this way that we're living now, like through our eyes and our our, our conscious mind. And then, I think it's just a different type. I agree that it's not over. It's just a different type of life. You know, just the way that a, a you know, like a bacteria is not consciously observing what's happening right now on the on the on the earth, but <clears throat> it's still alive and it's still there in some way. I mean, mm-hmm. we we go into the ground or we get vaporized into the air or whatever. We become something else and we contribute to this planet in some way. Um, I don't know. I think that there is something like interesting and interconnected there, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think you're right. Like as long, uh, because we are of a generation that I think is more, is less religiously inclined. Yeah. We tend to think about that part way less than yeah. past generations. And I think that, also plays a huge role in how the earth is like, or how the earth, how the world is changing in terms of from a societal standpoint. Mm. That there's just a whole bunch of changes, and why why we're, we're so different now than we were 50 years ago. And I think the thing that I identify the most with with what you said <laughs> is that is like living in the present now. Like, why spend that much time? Like, it, I think it only takes really, it doesn't take that much time to think about death, in the sense that. I, like you can be afraid of it enough to motivate you to live now and be in the present. And once you kind of establish that fact, like, okay, whatever will happen will happen, but I need to be present now. I feel like that's almost like that, that quote that you read from We Croak today. It's like, okay, now that you know that, that's the reality. So live mm-hmm. in the moment now. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm to a degree. Sometimes I, you need to re up. Uh, yeah. But I think too that like there's, there's probably, a, I, I feel strongly that thinking about it and uh, thinking about afterlife, thinking about what might come after can, can very, and, and really like breaking that down can very much have an effect on how present you are 
capable of living your life, mm. right? Like depending mm. on what it is that you believe. So like what you just said, you know, throwing it to the, let's say the, the very typical Christianity, like there's heaven and hell. And if I'm good, I will go to heaven and I will live up there and, and see all my friends and all my dead family members. And it'll be another life and it'll be very pleasant. Um, if that's what you believe, if you, if you think, if you sit and you think about that, well, for sure that's going to have an effect on the way that you live your, your day to day, you know, in the present mm. moment life. But if you believe something completely different from that, that shifts your perspective on what it means to have a physical body, then like, you know, I, I, the re, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this past weekend I had, I, and, and we don't have to like dive into this because there's, there's so much and I'm still like tr- processing it, but I had this, and this is a new word for me. It's an, an theogenic experience. So I, 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 I've had a, uh, basically I, I went through this like, it was a, a medicine ceremony, a psychedelic, uh, medicine called Bufo and, and like had this really profound spiritual experience in doing it. And it, it completely changed what I believe in, in terms of what comes after Mm. death Mm. before this experience. I, I was pretty, uh, uh, um, what's the word agnostic Agnostic. We're going like, I don't really know. Kind of indifferent, I don't know, but like if I was to guess, it would be we die, it's black, that's it, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Like we die and that's and, and it's over. And then after this experience over the weekend, I'm like, oh no, 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 that's not it. Like there's there is something far, far more there, there is something beyond mm. this existence, and it is it is so beyond anything that we can really truly comprehend it is so like much bigger and more expansive mm-hmm. and 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 different from this reality um and, and it, it really reminded me of david mcginley our 100th episode of the experience that he went through and and it was like i i i made this i had this realization that i felt like i experienced what might come after death mm-hmm. and now when I, when I came back to, after the, that experience, and I came back to my body, came back to earth, it was like, I had never, in my life, I had never felt more grateful and like, and, and ecstatic to realize that I have a body and, and we live in this beautiful, on this planet and like there's people and there's things that we can do and 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 it was just like this it was a fucking huge mind-blowing experience of like yeah. going the present moment is something is really fucking cool but you it, know and so so coming back to what i was saying was like i think it can have a pretty profound effect on how you but the other thing is is like it i don't know it just makes me think of like the the way we because you're talking about like this totally different uh, comprehension of what reality is like reality yeah. is different mm. from like what we what, or it's so different from what the reality is that we experience now yeah. but then you think of like like plants on this planet like they don't see they don't experience the same senses yeah. that we do they're experiencing yet they're alive yeah. and they're experiencing like this like the the a flower can like release um, it's like I think it was a Michael Pollan episode of Joe Rogan, where he's, or uh, a different episode, but he's talking about how like a, a flower can release this um, pollen or like a certain like electromagnetic waves to attract bees to let them know to let them know that uh, there's pollen in their plant. Yeah, like, yeah. So it, it's still interacting, yeah, yeah. and it has this level of awareness of of its environment, 
but like it's not experiencing reality in the same way that we are. So we don't like when we die if we don't necessarily leave this planet and go to a different dimension, a different reality. We're just our energy is is still mm. here in some way. I want to. I want to. That is all. I, I mean, that is. Can we go back to this for a sec? That is amazing. Yeah. So this was last weekend that you experienced this. It, yeah, I was on Salt so, Spring. Yeah, because you make a good point about it. I I think a lot of these spiritual experiences, and I did ayahuasca, and it was different. Uh, but yeah. uh, is sort of seeing the connectedness, and as you were saying about like you can kind of you feel everything around yeah. the world in a different way. Um, but so now that you've gone through that, um, and I'm super curious to chat later about more of it. But yeah. now that you've gone through that. Which was so recent. In the last couple of days, how has life been different in terms of you digesting and sort of grappling with your own mortality? Yeah, I'm still I'm still processing that, but there's this um, there is this like overwhelming sense that, uh, and and this might this might be hard to like wrap your head around. I, it might sound really silly, but like there's this overwhelming sense that because I've I've gone to this other Dimension, for for lack of a better term, I've gone and I've I've experienced this other place, and then was like catapulted back to Earth. There's this overwhelming sense that not a single thing matters, nothing matters. Yet everything totally matters, all at all at the same time. Like it's. And, and I was saying to the guys earlier that like, and, and I hope that this continues because one of the things that happened in this process was I, I, I purged like a very, very intense and very painful amount of anger and, and negativity out of my body. It was very intense. With yelling or? Yelling and like power scream puking mm-hmm. and just like, and like, like guttural primal screams to the fucking universe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and afterwards I felt so empty, but so full at the same time. <laughs> like it, and it, and it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's hard to like, to, to, it's, it's really hard to describe. I'm still trying to figure out how to even, even describe it to my own self. Um, but I was saying to the guys that like, I, I'm, I'm a pretty reactionary person and I, and I tend to get really stressed out really easily. And, and I can like kind of blow, I can, my, my leg can blow off pretty quick. Um, and I've been noticing since this past weekend that little things that come up that usually would kind of set me off, they just kind of blow right over my head and I go, yeah, right. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and it feels so Amazing! It feels so great, and so I'm really hoping that you're gonna make that habit. I mean, you're gonna have to re, have to re up on that stuff. Well, not necessarily re up on Bufo. I mean, maybe you do, but what do you want to do right now? Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, you know, it's like it's like your house. Your exactly. host doesn't stay clean. No. It's like your body. You got to yeah. keep showering. There's work you know, that goes so. into yeah. it. Yeah, and that's and I, and I I fully acknowledge <clears> that <throat> um, and realize that, but. Uh, Anyway, yeah. So there's this. That was a tangent. That was a whole other thing. There's this. I wanted to pivot a few degrees and share this because it seems like you know this seems like the the appropriate time to to talk about this. We're on the topic of death and talk about the the loss of of somebody in your life Um, because we, for context, we lost a a friend of ours who we met on the show. Uh, through interviewing him on the show, he had he had what three or four bouts of cancer in the last few couple yeah, of years. Four, yeah. 
And uh, he recently passed away uh, two or three weeks ago. And uh, we went to his funeral. And like when you mentioned David McGinley, that's what made it just shoot to the front of my mind. I try to make this like a Cole's Notes, the first bit of the story, Cole's Notes. So we lost our friend. Um, we had interviewed this guy named David McGinley on the show. This is a really, really interesting cat. Uh, he's a, uh, chaplain. a chaplain. So he deal, and he, and he deals in, he works in the palliative care unit in the hospitals and he talks to people as they're getting ready to basically, you know, come to the end of their life. And super, super fascinating guy. Brandon, who is our friend who passed away, he heard his episode on the show and then wanted him to be with him near the end of his life. And then he wanted him to be, to do the service at his funeral. Super touching, and we were so happy that that like came together like that. Um, this woman came into the yoga studio the other day, and she sat down. I hadn't seen her in a year. She had been to the studio the previous summer. She lives in Hong Kong. She was at home. Her mother was sick. And at the end of her stint in Halifax, her mother had passed away. And I remember having a conversation with her about it then, and we were kind of opening up this this conversation about death a lot, and I was like, this Ooh. is a good opportunity to like to practice this and open up to somebody and ask some questions. And then she showed up at the yoga studio a couple, like a week ago. And she, and I said, Oh my God, how are you doing? Like, yeah, you, I remember you. You were here last summer. Your mom passed away. And I remember you were going through that. And she was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Great memory. And we sat down and she said, How are you doing? I said, I just recently had a friend pass away. Actually, I'm kind of like in a rough, like a little bit of a rough spot, like trying to process that. And she said, she said, I said, there was a lot of learning in this. And she said, what was the biggest thing that you learned from your friend passing away? And I was like, holy shit, dude, that's like, let me think about that for a second. And I didn't know. So I just kind of started thinking and talking and I mentioned David and I, and then I landed on this thing where I remember what David was saying about the imprint of love that a person leaves on the world. And I had this realization that when someone dies in your life, I think the harshest thing about it is that you sometimes think about it of going from like zero to a hundred or like they're alive and then they're dead. And that's a harsh transition, you know, like alive and then dead, flick a switch. Like your memories of them and everything that you, like like it's all gone. And it's hard. And that's like, and that's the most shocking thing is like, boom, boom. And, and I was thinking about this thing that David said, and I, and eventually in this conversation with this woman came around to this idea that I think. I think that understanding that the imprint that somebody has left on this world in terms of their relationships and the love that they've given and everything, it makes this much smoother and easier to digest transition of their life where I was like, Brandon's still here. Like he's in, he's in that cider that I, that, that's sitting in my fridge because he Ooh. loves that cider. He's, he's in the in, conversations that we're he's having He's in like the right conversations now. that we're having right now and he's having a super profound effect. Like he's not gone. Ooh. He's not nearly gone. He's gone with the, his eyes and his mouth, but he's not gone at all and he won't be for a long time. Ooh. So there's no need to have this. I mean, you know, I had a, I had a very visceral and like intense sadness around that, of course, but I find no need to 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 have that immense sadness anymore because I he's in so many he's in so much shit that we do and and the and the lives that he touched and I'm like man this is this makes for such a much easier gradual transition Ooh. to when he is gone whether that will ever happen or maybe it won't you know and I think that, I mean it's such an amazing I've never thought about that that way and I think that's such an amazing way to think about how someone's love can stay with you and continue to shape you long after they're gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that bodes, you know, that, that's just a, another great example and speaks to what we're talking about. Why, 
while you are here, you want to create those imprints on other people because that's your legacy, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. his legacy on you and all you guys after he's gone. And that's what will continue. Like that's how he lives on. And I struggle with your mortality and your mortality and your mm-hmm. mortality way harder than I deal oh, with my own. Your own death is so like, much if I think about my own, I go, yeah. Oh, I usually, I usually have a pretty good reaction to my mortality. Dude, when I think about you dying before me, like I think about Brian and Dennis. I mean, him, him and his brother Dennis. We've been friends since we were ten years mm-hmm. old. I'm like, Joel, dude, that fucks me up, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But it, when I had this realization about Brandon, it makes that thought so much easier. Like you're not going to be gone. Yeah. I mean, this is assuming that I'm just you know better than you and I live longer. You know, because yeah. we're always competing. Yeah. yeah. Depends how many downward dogs. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's unlikely, but you know. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I'll take you out. <laughs> it was really like, it was just a really, I, I don't know, I, you know, and it was, it was. It's funny how like the last, you know, and it, we, we, we were all in this together. This, this like the, these past uh, month and a half and, and it's, it, there's been a lot of like death and a lot of talk about death and, and it's, it's so, it's so interesting to be in it, to be fully in it, but also every once in a while to kind of take a little bit of a step back and, and look down and see how much we're all learning from this and growing from this, you know? Um, I was like, this is a, mm-hmm. I said to her, I went, this is a really, it's been a really positive experience. Mm-hmm. And, but, I, and I said yeah. that and I went, that's crazy to yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, and I, I feel like in, in a way to come full circle, it's like that, that experience with death is almost what like makes you prioritize living your passion too. Mm. And like, I feel like with Brandon, with the experience of, of going through the, like losing a, a, a best friend like Brandon, I've definitely started to prioritize doing things that I'm more passionate about. And like, it becomes, I think my focus is, my focuses in the last couple months have been like way less surrounding like, how am I going to financially be afford, be able to live and, and how am I going to be able to do the things that I love more? Because I don't know when I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know that, I know that I'm alive right now. So I might as well do what I love while I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that's why these conversations are important because by talking about death and thinking about it, you have to think about life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the point. And it, and it just put things in perspective. And so. Shit, Great. dudes! This was, <laughs> we just uh, went deep as fuck. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, I think, uh, easily one of my my most recent favorite conversations that we've had on the show since Busha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Since, <laughs> since the, you since can remember, remember. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Holy moly! Uh, well, Ben, thank you, man. Thanks for coming in and thank you. and uh, sharing some of your knowledge. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank you guys for hosting me. Yeah, thank yeah, you, man. Home. Yeah, awesome. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week, as we always are. And uh, in the meantime, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, a uh, review, and hit the subscribe button. And tell one other person in your life uh, that if they haven't done it, they should also do it because it's a huge, uh, it's a huge support for us. Um, and it helps us stay on the iTunes charts, which just helps us uh, be be discovered by more people so we can grow this community and continue these conversations and continue to make a difference. Um, so we would, we would appreciate that a whole lot. You know what else we would appreciate, Tay? Support. 
Yeah. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash sickboy. Uh, we're in Vancouver right now and our patrons are a big part of why we're able to come here and have conversations with Ben and the people that we'll, that we'll be talking to while we're here. Uh, so thank you if you've been supporting us or if you have supported us, thank you so much. And if you uh, choose to, thank you so much as well. We really, really appreciate it. And a big shout out as always to Donovan the CPAP Morgan for the amazing sound design on this podcast. I love uh, that nickname. We, we couldn't have done it without you. So uh, thanks for the um, amazing wrecking ball sound effects uh, that you just put in right now Jeez, for that. some reason. <laughs> uh, and also thank you to uh, Take Part for the theme music. Um, take part in this.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more of their songs. And you know what? I'll, also, thank you to, uh, Herschel. Herschel, the, the supply, uh, co-brand. They, they've actually supplied us with the, uh, the lovely office space that we're in today to record today's session. So thank you so much, Herschel. You guys are, are lovely. And with that, uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Ben. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.